today on Ag News Daily. Attending either a local event, if a Young Farmer Committee has something planned locally, or coming to the Young Farmer Conference at the end of January, just because it's putting you in a group of really peers, and it's a great topics and great way to figure out everything that Farm Bureau has to offer for you. A beautiful Thursday, September 8th, Ag News Daily Edition. Tanner Winterhoff alongside Delaney Howell. Today's episode is brought to you by Douglas Plant Health. To unharness your soil's fertility and maximize your yield, consider Douglas Plant Health. So Delaney, how bad does your head hurt today after your birthday yesterday? I feel fine today, Tanner. I only had a few adult beverages. You're just gaining so much wisdom in your old age. That's it. That's it. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> I'm glad you had a good birthday. I know our listeners, hopefully we're thinking about you and wishing you well. Uh, other than that, it's a little steamy today here in central Iowa. Yes, it certainly is. It's uh, humidity is hot and heavy. I woke up this morning thinking that it had rain, but it was just a lot of heavy dew. A lot of conversations that I've been having around here have also talked about the air quality uh, being a little bit uh, hampered due to the fires. I know there's quite a few people that got some sniffles and allergies are flaring up. So an interesting beginning to our September. No, it certainly is nonetheless, Tanner. But I tell you what, we better dig into some news today. I thought this was an interesting headline. I don't know if you've seen this, but the title is called Permanently Blocking the Cow Tax, Tanner. Apparently, see that. Yes. there were some Hearings going on this week on Wednesday, looking at multiple bills in the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee that were trying to allow the EPA to put a, quote, cow tax on livestock producers for methane or other biological livestock emissions under a bill that was received on Wednesday. We saw lots of legislators obviously avidly against this piece of legislation, including Senator John Thune from South Dakota. He said that allowing the EPA to regulate livestock emissions would negatively affect the entire livestock sector and would also lead to higher food prices paid by consumers. He also said passing this legislation would provide livestock producers long-term certainty that their livelihoods would not be compromised by regulatory overreach. So he was avidly against this piece of legislation and um, wanted to ensure that the EPA would be banned from requiring livestock operations to seek permits or pay fees. Yeah, it looked like to me that it was all just discussion. It was a hearing. Nothing has come out of the committee level. Uh, Nothing has advanced to the Senate floor yet, but another one for us to keep our eyes on. Absolutely. Something else for us to continue watching. We had uh, Elizabeth Burns Thompson on our show before from Navigator CO2 Ventures. They are one of three companies, to remind our listeners, that have proposed liquid carbon pipelines in the state of Iowa. They recently have sued four sets of landowners to gain access to their properties to survey the land, according to court records. So, Blaney, this is not suing them as far as eminent domain goes. This is a a potential suit to gain access to their property just to survey the land. So the company filed petitions in August 
injunctive released against landowners in Butler, Clay, and Woodbury counties. The company claims the landowners repeatedly refused to grant access to their properties and alleged physical threats towards the company's land agents. Get off my land before I let the dogs go, Delaney, was a quote as cited in this uh, lawsuit. One of the landowners allegedly told an agent, uh, different county, a landowner's tenant nearly ran over a agent of Navigator CO2. And Navigator cites that Iowa law states a pipeline company may enter upon private land for the purpose of only surveying and examining the land with 10 days written notice. They stated they had complied with that and now have pushed suit against those landowners that would not allow them on their property. And obviously, Delaney looks like posed physical threats. Entry for land surveys shall be deemed non-trespassing and can be aided by injunction. And that's what Navigator CO2 is putting out for here. Even when they were reached out to for comments, their spokesperson declined to reveal the exact incidents as stated that the court documents would uh, reveal that, but have stated they continue to move forward in their progress. Of course, we've talked about the Summit Carpet Solutions, talking about permission on 40% of their route uh, and growing. Either way, these petitions have been filed, and it's interesting to see how legal action can take place against the landowner, refusing them the right to survey their land. Yes, I saw this piece of news as well, Tanner. It's certainly an odd piece of news, to say the least. Maybe not good publicity for them either. It's not. And then uh, they do have law on their side is what it looks like. But certainly uh, would like to see matters like that handled outside of a courtroom. Absolutely, Tanner. I, I agree completely there. Well, one matter that is obviously not going to be handled in a courtroom is the continuing looming threat of avian influenza flaring back up. I know we reported recently on a couple of flocks in California that had the disease cited and noticed there, but the risk of another highly pathogenic avian influenza outbreak remains for poultry farmers as temperatures start to slowly push lower. And as fall wild migratory bird season starts, Tanner, that was something I had not considered. But as we see birds start to migrate for the winter, USDA and other folks are saying need to be vigilant and on high alert. Uh, just recently, they detected two commercial turkey flocks in western Minnesota and a hobby flock in Indiana that had also tested positive for avian influenza. So we're starting to see an uptick slightly here in new cases, and it could continue to worsen as we see those birds migrate, which is something I had not considered. Yeah, and that's unfortunate that it's happening earlier this season than those in the past. On the Farm for Profit podcast, we interviewed a group called the Bird Control Group. Maybe we can get them lined up for an interview here, but they use lasers, green laser beams, to ward off that of um, migratory birds or any type of fowl like that to try and keep them away from these flocks. So it was an interesting technology using the science of Mother Nature uh, to put those types of things together. Well, Tanner, I need that piece of technology at my house because I absolutely hate (laughs) wild birds. I think that could be a good birthday present for me if you wanted to find me one still. There you go. We'll get you signed up with the bird control group. 
Ukraine has released some news for us here. They have uh, provided updated information showing where their vessels have sailed after leaving their ports. Ukraine's Ministry of Infrastructure released a report showing exactly how many vessels departed, what they were carrying, and their destinations because they were accused by Russian President Vladimir Putin of sending agriculture products to wealthy countries and not to those as needed. 102 vessels sailed away from Ukrainian ports at the start of the so-called Grain Initiative, the deal brokered by Turkey and the United Nations in late July. A total of 2.37 million metric tons of ag products were recorded as shipped. 32, less than a third of those ships went to Europe, carrying 850,000 metric tons. 16 vessels carried ag products to Africa. Russia President Vladimir Putin stated that Ukraine was only shipping to Europe instead of the African area where food had need, food needs were the highest. However, the infographic shared showed that that was not the case. An additional eight vessels were destined for Egypt and loan ships went to Kenya, Algeria, Somalia, Djibouti, and Libya as to round out the rest of their portions there. So it was interesting to kind of take a look at that graphic, Delaney, and find out where these grain ships had been sent. Yeah, and I have a little bit of additional news to add to that, Tanner, because apparently we also saw Turkey's president come out in support of Russia, which certainly had the markets frustrated yesterday heading into today. And we also saw yesterday that senior UN and Russian officials met in Geneva to discuss Russian complaints about the Western sanctions that they said are continuing to impede their grain and fertilizer exports, despite a UN brokered deal to boost Russian and Ukrainian shipments. So they're certainly very frustrated and have been vocalizing that frustration with the UN. Yeah, but you know who isn't frustrated, Delaney? Farmers who use DPH biologicals. For more than three decades, U.S. farmers largely organic have increased their yield with the help of SP1 Classic. As fertilizer costs soar and supply chain, loom, supply chain challenges loom, DPH Biologics is expanding access to its trusted biofertilizer to you who farm conventional acres. With TerraTrove SP1 Classic, the complete biofertilizer growers can replace up to 50% of their starter fertilizer. Visit dphbio.com to reclaim your soil fertility. I've got a couple of oil-related articles, Delaney. The sell-off of oil happened Wednesday and continued to put nearly a freefall in and now has rent crude breaking the key support levels of $90 a barrel. That's the first time since February that crude has been that low. 20-year highs in the dollar are causing issues for crude. China's growing COVID lockdowns, fears of the third straight 75 basis point rate hike from the U.S. Federal Reserve on September 21st, all are providing this perfect storm. But when you look at oil inventories, U.S. crude oil stockpiles increased last week. The API reported Wednesday that even though the economists had forecasted a decline, we are showing stockpiles increasing, which Delaney points to slowing global growth and slowing energy demand. West Texas Intermediate U.S. Benchmark traded at $81.77 a barrel following a 5.7% settle on Wednesday. So the U.S. crude inventories rose by 3.6 million barrels that week and compared to a buildup 
of 593,000. So quite a big difference in the projection and actual figures there. As we continue to monitor these prices of oil, the countries that are dependent upon Russia, looks like we have put in a cap on Russian oil, which uh, led to Vladimir Putin stating that he would not take that as an impact. He stated that no gas, no oil, no coal, no fuel, oil, or nothing will be supplied to a country contrary to our interests. And this is in case also economic interests. So even though it is determined to be an unfriendly item, oil tumbled on Wednesday, Delaney. Well, Tanner, another indication of the overall global climate and economic climate is, of course, interest rates. We got some mixed news today coming from both the EU and the U.S. The European Central Bank raised their benchmark interest rate 75 basis points from zero this morning, which is the largest increase on record. And it also went ahead to signal that additional rate hikes were more than likely to see later this year. However, on the flip side, Tanner, we saw from Federal Chair Reserve Jerome Powell that central banks are doing more to fight inflation, but he thinks that a pause in rate hikes or a pivot to easing will not come anytime soon and said, um, of course, we've got a meeting here in about two weeks with the Federal Reserve, and it's looking very likely that the Federal Reserve could overnight raise the rate uh, to be at 4% by the end of the year. Yeah, that doesn't seem like things will be slowing down at all. And I say a lot of the indicators on the finance industry side of things are expecting rates to continue to climb. And uh, it'll just be interesting to see what type of an impact that has on our economy. When you look at the future of agriculture, Delaney, Tyrannus has raised an additional $40 million to further their acceleration and use of development of its smart crop scouting platform. So to date, that means Tyrannus has raised over $100 million. With three years of commercial experience, the platform is aiming to be the glue sticking trusted advisors together with farmers. They provide insights to yield threats out into the field and crop conditions. Current under their Currently under their user base, more than 100 ag retailers and consultants are using Tyrannus to deliver crop intelligence insights, empowering more informed decisions, helping make crop management more efficient. Tyrannus helps build the better relationship and better decisions in agriculture, says Mike Depoa, the chief commercial officer. They are looking at Delaney providing combine guides this fall so they have images and data on your farm or your field throughout the growing year if you sign up now they will provide you with these combine packets that allows you to look at what happened throughout the growing year in that specific field as you're watching the yield monitor go up or down throughout the issue so you can see if it was a planting decision a population decision a weed pressure decision if it was related to moisture during key times of the growing year but they are looking at more than 200 million AI data points and are using artificial intelligence that they have built and honed in over the last seven years. So interesting there, another big fundraising round for Tyrannus. Interesting. I was not familiar with the company until you mentioned this piece of news. 
yeah, it certainly seems like something to be exciting. And uh, we should look at getting them on as an interview for this podcast. Lots of good interview ideas today, Tanner. Absolutely. Well, before you jump into the rest of your news, let's pause one more time for a message from DPH Biologics. Again, listeners, for more than three decades, U.S. farmers have increased their yield with the help of SB1 Classic. Fertilizer costs are soaring. Supply chain challenges are looming, but DPH Biologics is expanding access to its trusted biofertilizer to you to farm on your acres. With TerraTrove SP1 Classic, the complete biofertilizer, growers can replace up to 50% of their starter fertilizer. To order today, visit dphbio.com. That is dphbio.com to reclaim your soil's fertility. Absolutely, Tanner. Well, Talking about reclaiming the markets, the bears certainly have reclaimed their territory this morning as grains are fairly lower across the board. New crops being, excuse me, new crop corn today down about six cents on the morning here in midday at 665. New crop soybeans are flirting with unchanged right at that 1383 mark. Wheat trading substantially lower after all of that news we reported on going on right now between Russia and Ukraine, pulling the board down about 15 cents in the December contract at 8.29. Hopping over to take a look at livestock here at the midday session, Tanner, we're seeing mixed trade here as well. October live cattle down about 45 cents on the day at a buck 43.80. September, excuse me, October feeders down about 35 cents on the day at a buck 83.60. And October lean hogs are sitting right about 45 cents higher at 91.52 and a half. Now, Tanner, we are going to be turning over today's conversation to talk about the Iowa Farm Bureau's Young Farmer Program. So let's kick it over to that conversation. Well, listeners, I'm super excited for this interview today with Ms. Megan Hansen, Chair of the Iowa Young Farmers Committee. Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I came across your organization on social media. It looked like a really great program, especially for those young farmers in Iowa. So just give us a bird's eye view of what the program is and what it does for those younger population of farmers in Iowa. Yes. So our, it's through Iowa Farm Bureau, our Young Farmer Committee has been geared towards providing programming, learning opportunities, and networking, um, just to name a few things, geared towards farmers, young professionals, and really anyone interested in ag, with the target age group being 18 to around 35 um, certainly we're not, our joke is we're not checking the IDs at the door. So just those that are younger, um, just starting maybe in their careers or starting in their farming career, um, and having the connections and resources, uh, for that chapter in our lives. Very cool. So before we get into a little bit deeper on the things that y'all do, what is your background and how did you get involved with this program? Yes. So my husband, Dan, and I live uh, near Avoca. We farm and then also have a precision ag business and four kiddos now. Uh, we have been involved really in the Young Farmers Program since we graduated college. Uh, Dan had a little bit of involvement in the Young Farmers Program prior 
to that uh, through his FFA involvement. But for us, we've been regular attenders for the Young Farmers Conference. Uh, It's really propelled our involvement in the Farm Bureau organization as a whole, uh, serving on different county boards, depending on where we've lived in our career, and then also just had the connections, uh, resources, and a network as we started farming, having someone available to ask those questions when things do pop up for us. Absolutely. That's very cool. So with the program, I know one of the big hot topics we're discussing on the on the podcast a lot lately is labor. And a lot of people have said one of the best answers to this is keeping young people that are from generational farms on the farm and bringing new young people into the business. How is Iowa Young Farms addressing that issue? And do y'all do anything to reach younger agriculture professionals that may not already be involved? Uh, yes. So I would go ahead and say, uh, I'm going to give a little bit of plug here for our annual Young Farmers Conference. It's the end of January, maybe beginning of February each year, just depending on how the calendar falls. Uh, but at that event, we have a lot of workshops, um, speakers that are geared towards what we think a young farmer needs to be successful on the farm. So it could be anything from getting a better understanding to marketing. It could be uh, anything around hot topics on the industry that's going on at the time, or even, you know, you mentioned the multi-generational farms, having some resources there um, as you're coming back to the farm and looking what that may look like as you know, grandma and grandpa are retiring, or maybe mom and dad are retiring, how to have those conversations and what that may look like. So at our conference, we have those resources available. And then throughout the year, uh, we have Farm Bureau in Iowa is set up to have nine districts. So each of those districts then have a young farmer committee representative, it's typically a couple, that are then planning events within our area. So my husband and I are Southwest Iowa. So we'll go ahead and we will plan some educational events. This past year, our educational event was actually direct marketing uh, meet to consumers and what you need to have. So it's providing those tools and resources to really be successful for someone that's returning back to the farm or just having an interest in agriculture and having those connections with friends that are at the same phase of life with you. Right. Very cool. So aside from the events and all of these great opportunities y'all have for these younger farmers, I also noticed a lot of award opportunities on your website. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. uh, We, I feel that do a very good job um, really acknowledging what young people in the Farm Bureau organization and farmers in general are doing. So we have some leadership awards that are really recognizing uh, the leadership within not only your farm, but also your county board and your community. And what's really neat about this award now is a grant is then given to someone in your community to help benefit them. So it's a really cool way that we are giving back to our communities as well. And then the other one um, is newer, is called Grow Your Future. And this is for small businesses uh, that are somehow related to ag and maybe hitting a niche market of some sort, are able to fill out an application and then go through really a 
competition and earn funds that then can be used in their business. Um, and what's really cool, I think applications, you know, were, are, were due here recently for this upcoming year. So then they'll review the applications, select the top winners, and then they'll do a pitch off at our Young Farmers Conference um, in the beginning of 2023. And those attendees will then vote on the winner um, to earn those grant money. That is fantastic. And I want to say that a lot of our audience is in this age bracket of 18 to 35. Now, not all of them are from Iowa, of course, but we do have a lot of listeners in Iowa, and I'm sure a lot of them would be very interested in this program. If any of our listeners wanted to reach out and get more involved, how could they do that? Yes, absolutely. So I always recommend starting off with your local Farm Bureau office. Uh, So if you're not already a member, they can help you get set up uh, as a member and then give you the specific information um, where I would, I highly recommend starting obviously would be attending either a local event. If a young farmer committee has something planned locally um, or coming to the young farmer conference uh, at the end of January, just because it's putting you in a group of really peers um, and it's a great topics and great way to figure out everything that Farm Bureau uh, has to offer for you. And it really doesn't necessarily necessarily matter if, like I said, you're a young professional, you're just starting your farming operation, or you're coming from a multi-generational farm, um, there's going to be something for everyone there. Very cool. Megan, thank you so much for joining us. And I know our listeners will get a lot out of this conversation. Yes, thank you. It's always fun, Delaney, to see youth continuing to be involved in agriculture, but I would say that you couldn't even necessarily call these youth. These are more young adults and young professionals in agriculture. Absolutely, Tanner. This is something I'm surprised that neither of us have done, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. But another good resource for our listeners, of course, you know how to get a hold of them if you have interest and are a young farmer yourself. Delaney, What do we have exciting for our listeners tomorrow? Oh, Tanner, we have so much good content coming up here over the next couple of weeks. We have still some great Farm Progress show interviews that we're going to be putting out and lots of other things about the movers and shakers in agriculture. So folks, do stay tuned and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. Tanner, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 